A very good evening to you and a warm welcome to Living Lent, a series of reflections here on Scarif Bay Community Radio on these Sunday evenings of Lent. I'm Brendan Quinlevin and happy to be with you to share some thoughts, prayers, reflections and music for the next half hour or so. For the past two weeks, we've been thinking about the two great pillars at the season of Lent, of prayer and of fasting. Today, we look at the third, almsgiving, charity, that call forth from us a generosity of spirit. For when we are generous, we are sharing all the blessings that we have received in life with those who need to receive them in their lives. It's part of our growing. It's part of our living. It's part of our living Lent. In this season of Lent, we are called to greater acts of almsgiving. That whatever prayer or fasting we do during the season of Lent is meant not just to impact on ourselves and on our own well-being, but to have an impact in the lives of others. To give alms, to carry out works of charity, is key to our understanding of Lent. We do it in simple ways, often. The prominent place that we give to the trocara box, perhaps on our kitchen table, that when we sit down to a meal, it reminds us there are others in our world who struggle for food. And that sometimes it has been said that the food we waste is taken from the tables of starving families. Charity is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Along with faith and hope, charity or love are one of the great Christian virtues. We call them the theological virtues. Faith, hope and charity. And these things go hand in hand. But on the very first day of Lent, Jesus reminded us that what we give in charity Our left hand must not know what our right hand is doing. That charity is not simply a gift that we give to the poor, but rather a debt that we must repay to them. There is a strange group of tombstones in the Mount Hope Cemetery in Hiawatha in Kansas in the United States. A man named John Davis, a farmer and self-made man, had them erected, Davis began life as a lowly hired hand, and by sheer determination and frugality he managed to amass a considerable fortune. 
In the process, however, he didn't make too many friends. When his wife died, he erected an elaborate statue in her memory. He hired a sculptor to design a monument which showed both her and him at opposite ends of a love seat. He was so pleased with the result that he commissioned another statue, this time of himself kneeling at her grave, placing a wreath on it. That impressed him so much that he ordered a third monument, this time of his wife kneeling at his future gravesite, placing a wreath. He had the sculptor add a pair of wings on her back, giving her the appearance of an angel. One idea led to another, until he'd spent over a quarter of a million dollars on monuments to himself and his wife, and all during the Great Depression. After using up all his money on stone statues, John Davis died at the age of 92. The monuments are now a big tourist attraction. But very few people attended Mr. Davis's funeral. Only one person seemed genuinely moved by any sense of personal loss, and he was Horace England, the sculptor. When we give alms, when we exercise the virtue of charity, we leave more lasting monuments than statues to ourselves.
Some years ago, I returned from the Saturday evening mass to the parochial house, and on opening the sitting room door, I discovered that the papers on my desk were scattered all over the floor of the sitting room. I was a little angry with myself that I had obviously left the window open and the wind had come in and scattered all the papers. That was until I went into the kitchen and saw that the cutlery drawers had been emptied onto the floor and the drawers left on the kitchen countertop. I had, in fact, been robbed. When we are robbed, when things are stolen from us, it's a sad life lesson. Despite all our sophistication and practice cynicism, our first reaction to learning something of ours has been stolen is a sort of a dazed disbelief. And after the reality finally settles in, what's our next reaction? We start to get mad. Who would dare do such a thing to us? What will they do with the money they have taken? After getting mad, we get sad and scared. Sad that something we cared about, really enjoyed, or perhaps even had tremendous sentimental value, is now gone. And that's when we feel incredibly vulnerable, exposed and afraid. A robber doesn't just break into the car or the house. The robber breaks into your private space, your personal life. A thief takes far more than your stuff. A thief steals away your peace of mind and sense of security. Those things you place value on in your life are exposed as wholly fragile and transitory. With sad and fearful insight, we realise that we can be robbed of anything and everything at any moment. Few people listening this evening would ever put themselves in the category of thief. Would you? In a spiritual sense, I have some bad news for you. Together, we've all robbed God, and our robbery is an ongoing heist that we reenact every day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. The words are so familiar we really don't even hear them anymore. But this is God's treasure to the world, the gift beyond all value that God has offered to every living creature on the planet. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, God's treasure to the world, so that the world might be saved, needs a delivery system. The delivery system God envisioned and that Christ incarnated is the church, it's you and me. We are God's witnesses to the world. We are God's dispenser of the treasure of salvation. And we're all guilty of embezzlement, an inside job of robbery. With every time we offer judgment instead of forgiveness, we rob God. With every person we dismiss as hateful, unlovable, unrepentant and unredeemable, we rob God. With every nation we declare too far away and too different from us to merit our attention and witness, we rob God. When we fail to preach Jesus, 
When we hold back the message of the sacrificial love that Jesus freely offered, that's when we rob God. And sometimes we as church are guilty of having spent centuries trying to lock down and lock up God's treasure. We've locked it behind church dogma. We've vaulted it deep within church walls. We've chained it down with denominational details. We've secreted it behind walls of confessions and catechisms and creeds. But it's God's treasure to give. Our directions are to share it, not to hoard it, or encase it, or embalm it. Will you join me today in repenting of our robbery? This week, thoughts and prayers for peace have not been far from our minds. As we observe the unfolding situation in Ukraine and the Russian invasion, the loss of innocent life, the great displacement of peoples, we are moved in a particular way to pray for peace. And even though we may be physically and geographically distant from the people of Ukraine, we are nonetheless close to them in their suffering. So many people in charity have responded in a loving way 
offering rooms and homes and shelter to beleaguered families, supporting the work of charities and other international groups trying to alleviate the suffering of people on the ground. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, at his general audience in Rome on Wednesday last, led an online and in-presence prayer in a special way, praying for an end to the war in the Ukraine. The Pope pleads with God to forgive all humanity for the brutality of war, which he said turns our hands, created to care and tend the earth, into instruments of death. Before reciting the prayer, Pope Francis invited Christians to ask God for forgiveness and to grant peace amid the pain of the war in the Ukraine. And so we bring our time of reflection on this third Sunday in the season of Lent by sharing with you that prayer of Pope Francis praying for peace in the Ukraine. I love you, Lord Oh, your mercy never fails me And all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Perdonaci la guerra, Signore. Signore Gesù Cristo, Figlio di Dio, abbi misericordia di noi, peccatori. Forgive us for war, O Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Lord Jesus, born in the shadows of bombs falling on Kiev, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, who died in a mother's arms in a bunker in Kharkiv, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, a 20-year-old sent to the front lines, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, who still behold armed hands in the shadow of your cross, have mercy on us. Forgive us, O Lord. Forgive us if we are not satisfied with the nails with which we crucified your hands, as we continue to slake our thirst with the blood of those mauled by weapons. Perdonaci, se queste mani che avevi creato per custodire si sono trasformate in strumento di morte. Forgive us if these hands which you created to tend have been transformed into instruments of death. 
Forgive us, O Lord, if we continue to kill our brother. Forgive us if we continue like Cain to pick up the stones of our fields to kill Abel. Forgive us if we continue to justify our cruelty with our labors, if we legitimize the brutality of our actions with our pain. Forgive us for war, O Lord. Forgive us for war, O Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we implore you, hold fast the hand of Cain, illuminate our consciences, may our will not be done, abandon us not to our own actions, stop us, Lord, stop us. And when you have held back the hand of Cain, care also for him, he is our brother. O Lord, put a halt to the violence. Stop us, O Lord. Amen. Fermaci, Signore. Amen. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God
Shinwil Oimsha, Umran Hona, Harja, Agus Gurumila Mahagiv Guler, Asvur Gajakta. That's all from me this evening on this third Sunday in the season of Lent. Thank you so much for your company. And as we have reflected on the idea of charity and almsgiving, can I remind you, as we have prayed too for the people of Ukraine, that the Irish bishops have asked for a special collection to be taken up at all masses in Ireland on this coming weekend to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine and especially the families and children who have had to flee their homeland in advance of the Russian invasion. The proceeds of this special collection will be directed to Caritas International, which is the helping hand of the church on the ground in the Ukraine and the surrounding region. We invite you, if you haven't already had the opportunity to do so, to be as generous as you can. So, Gujiga Mehmed Lekele on Chakhtan Chakhuing, Gudeshiv Guler Slan, Banachde Orev Erfad. Stop and say well, You're going the wrong way well, You've got to try A little kindness Yes, show a little kindness Let's shine your light For everyone to see And if you try A little kindness Then you'll overlook the blindness Narrow-minded people On the narrow-minded Helping hand instead of doubt, and the kindness that you show every day will help someone along their way. You've got to try a little kindness, yes, show a little kindness, let's shine your light for everyone to see. Narrow-minded people on the narrow-minded street.